Welcome to Start HPS Podcast, a conversation between Harvard Business School students and folks who have been on audacious journeys starting meaningful ventures. We're your hosts, Alex Spencer and Bryce DeFigurito, students at the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Ben Lyon, the founder and CEO of Hover, which enables developers to integrate with any mobile money service worldwide in an afternoon. Today, we talked to Ben about fintech in Africa and his experience building mobile money platforms for developing nations. Enjoy the conversation. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Ben, to know a little bit about your, your back, like where your origin story, you know? So you've got Southern roots, ended up in um, Africa for a good chunk of time. So like connect the dots for me, you know, why, why Africa, um, what gravitated you to the continent and, um, how'd you, how'd you end up in, in Kenya? Yeah, it's not, it's not exactly a direct line. Um, and I actually kind of struggled to recreate kind of how exactly this all happened. Um, so I, I guess I can summarize it as it wasn't the plan. Uh, but now I can't think of anything else. Um, so I, I did grow up across the American South, um, Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas, West Virginia, um, mostly came of age in Arkansas um, and had not really, I, I had not left the country uh, until I was in college. And then my grandfather, who had spent his whole life working abroad, decided, you know, this is kind of intolerable that my grandson hasn't seen the world yet or even, you know, any other country. Um, so my sophomore year of college, he took me on, um, was this sophomore year? No, my freshman summer, uh, he took me to Southeast Asia. So we did East Timor, Singapore, and Indonesia, um, and just kind of opened my eyes to travel. And, and, um, you know, you go from a place like Fort Smith, Arkansas to Singapore, uh, and it's just really humbling to see, like, look, look what this, this city state has built. Uh, and, you know, you kind of, you're, uh, it, it just really opened my opened my eyes a lot. So we saw like, look how far Singapore has come. Uh, but we were also in East Timor during uh, what was um, the civil unrest, probably just short of a civil war at the time. Um, and I, I really left that experience wondering what can I do um, in this world to try and um, contribute and, and just make it make things a little bit better. Uh, and the next summer, I got a research fellowship that took me to Uganda. Um, so I was in northern Uganda for three months, and that just kind of further, um, you know, took me down that road. Uh, and in that trip in Uganda, I saw this was now 2007, I believe, uh, 2007 or 2008. Um, I saw that, um, you know, people were transferring airtime to one another using the MTN MediU service. Um, so I wasn't the first, you know, the mobile money was already being piloted in Kenya at the time. I just wasn't aware uh, but that's what got me really interested in this, um, you know, digital financial services, just seeing, you know, airtime is being used as a proto-currency. Um, people have figured out a way to make it fungible, and you can build financial services around it. And just once I'd seen that, I just couldn't look away. Uh, and that, you know, so the inspiration was there, and that coincided with the financial crisis in the U.S. when I graduated, uh, and there just was not work for, for anything. Really, my plan was to work for the U.S. government. Uh, at the time, um, and uh, just somehow ended up moving to Nairobi and, and starting a company. Okay, wow. So let, let's unpack a few things there. So for those who don't know, airtime, as I understand it, is basically like 
you, when you say people in Uganda were transferring airtime to one another as, as currency, it's almost like the U.S. equivalent of like back in the day when you had minutes, right? Like, oh, hey, what if I could send, like Alex could send Ben like, you know, 30 minutes of talk time. That, that's what airtime is, right? Yeah. And, and imagine if, you know, I go and I buy an air, a minute, I buy 60 minutes at a 7-Eleven store. And instead of me topping up those minutes directly onto my phone, maybe I call Alex and I say, hey, here's the code. I just bought a, a redemption code for an hour of, of uh, talk time. Why don't you go ahead and enter the code? And so you could enter the code and then we've affected a, a value transfer. Um, or even you might say, I'm going to sell this code to someone next to me for a discount. Um, you know, so, uh, maybe I have an hour worth of talk time and I sell it to my neighbor for 55 minutes. Um, and then you've just, you know, whatever the regulation around that is, you've just affected, uh, a money transfer de facto. Um, and that behavior was observed pretty broadly. Uh, and, and that's why Safaricom and Vodafone, uh, started M-Pesa in Kenya, kind of observing that type of behavior, uh, and just formalizing it. You know, it was originally a microfinance use case, but then they saw, um, you can use this as a domestic remittance network. You can use it for, um, you know, people topping up their airtime and data. And really, this is these are payment rails. Okay, interesting. And so, so you were around sort of at the at the beginning of Mpesa. You mentioned so. Just real quick as a context setter for folks who aren't familiar, Mpesa. I mean, I heard some crazy statistic. I don't, I don't know, can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was something to the effect of a large percentage of Kenya's GDP is um, transacted from in peer-to-peer payments through M-Pesa. That's right. Um, so basically, it, 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 would it would that would M-Pesa be the equivalent of like if everyone in the U.S. could could just send money to each other? through like Verizon um, in a cell phone network? Yeah. And actually T-Mobile in the U.S. tried, and I believe they're trying again. They actually called their product T-Mobile Mobile Money. Um, so this is a case of kind of, uh, you know, a south to north transfer of technology. So they're, they're trying to replicate something in the West that's been done uh, very successfully across the global south. Yeah, that's interesting. So... So why aren't folks in the U.S. thinking about mobile money in this space in the same way? Like, why is it so much more advanced in in places like Africa? Yeah, I, I think they're, you know, in the case of, say, Sub-Saharan Africa or East Africa, which is really the epicenter of mobile money, um, mobile money was a disruptive innovation. It, you went from having really bad or no options uh, to having just immediately accessible options that, you know, solve the problem just almost not really overnight, but uh, very quickly. Uh, so Safaricom, when they rolled out their the the Impesa service, the, one of the things they did really well was just the operations of it. So making sure there were agents nearby where you could cash in and cash out, making sure the agents were branded and trained, uh, making sure they had sufficient electronic float to sell you services. So you know, you're you're actually buying money when you do a cash in. You're you're taking cash. And you're saying, I want, um, I want 100 shillings in uh, M-Pesa in digital value. And then that agent is actually selling you that, um, that value. Uh, so in the case of that transfer, the network is paying that agent a commission to do that transaction. Um, but what they've done is they've sold you electronic cash for physical cash. 
Interesting. So, so it sounds like you, you mentioned that, um, it's taken off so much in these countries because you basically went from having kind of no great option for sending money electronically to having this. Um, would you say that like in the U S because we kind of already have options, it has kind of held back mobile money here? Yeah, it's, it's just, it doesn't solve a problem in the same way, or it doesn't solve the problem in the same way. So, um, you know, we've got Venmo and Square Cash and Zelle and bank transfer and, um, you know, the ACH system and checks and, and uh, Visa Direct, et cetera. We have so many ways we can send money. Um, it, it's just there's not a single clear-cut winner. But in a place like Kenya, Impesa has become that where, you know, like we might say, let me Venmo you something as a verb. Um, a Kenyan might say, you know, just Impesa me. Uh, and, and so it's become so ubiquitous that it's been verbed. Uh, and that's also true in uh, Somalia and Zimbabwe, Uganda, Tanzania. Um, mobile money in these markets really has become the, the primary um, means of value transfer. And, and in fact, in, in more than 10 markets in sub-Saharan Africa, you have more uh, people with mobile money accounts than bank accounts. And so you've really gone from zero to one and just completely skipped over the uh, traditional kind of path to financial inclusion. So is the analogy, um, like one analogy that's coming to mind is like, I've heard uh, like, in, so I, I you, Ben knows, I, I lived in Africa for close to four years. Um, and one thing that struck me, you know, sh- arriving in Africa was like, you know, back in the States, folks still had landlines, landline telephones, you know, and. And even my parents, when I when I arrived in Africa, I would call them from a cell phone in Africa to a landline. But everyone in Africa had a cell phone, you know, basically 2008, 2009. And they kind of skipped the whole landline, like, evolution in, in their communications network. Sounds like that there might be a similar component here with mobile money since it sounds like, you know, your average consumer in Kenya didn't have access to ACH or all these various sort of payment infrastructure that we have access to. So when peer to peer came in with mobile money, you know, it's sort of the path of least resistance and widely adopted. Um, Does that sound more or less in the ballpark then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, it solved a problem immediately in a way that was nearby. I, I didn't have to walk, you know, 10 kilometers to get to the nearest bank branch. I didn't have to wait for the bank to open up because it was a weekend or a public holiday. Um, it just completely flipped the script. And with telcos, you know, one of the mobile money and emerging markets, and especially sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, is led by telcos, as, as we're discussing. And, um, what telcos do really well is above the line consumer advertising and then the logistics to support that, you know, through airtime reseller networks, through uh, they have to get uh, SIM cards all the way, you know, to every every corner of the country and make sure that those SIM cards can be registered uh, for know your customer purposes. And so that infrastructure they've built turns out to be a lot better at mass market financial service delivery than the traditional banking channels. And so with the, the rise of telcos, um, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, driving these services, 
uh, you've you've got a situation now where the banks are are rapidly trying to catch up, uh, and it may be too late. The the telcos may have already reached escape velocity in some markets, um, but now you see that they're they're changing the entire way that financial services are delivered because they they pose an existential threat to traditional banks in some of these markets. So this is so fascinating. So. You arrive in Uganda, you see people transacting with airtime as a value transfer, light bulb goes off. But, you know, putting a contrarian hat on, it's it's Uganda, population of what, like, you know, 40 million or so. Um, fast forward now, what are we, 10 years from that point in time? How like how many people are transacting on mobile money at a global scale? Like, is it, is it just isolated to East Africa or, you know, are, are, are they, do we have a pretty big consumer base here actually transferring money? Yeah. So the, um, the GSMA put out their 2018 state of the industry report a few months ago or a few weeks ago. Um, And it's now, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it's several hundred million people are active registered mobile money users globally. Uh, the epicenter of that is Sub-Saharan Africa with a concentration in East Africa. Uh, and then that's followed by South Asia, where the model's a little different, but um, the same kind of fundamentals in Bangladesh and uh, Pakistan in particular. Um, yeah, so, so at least a few hundred million people globally. But when you, there is one thing I could add there. When you widen the lens a little bit, um, mobile money as we kind of you know there's there's the rails and then there's the interface uh the rails you can make these real distinctions between uh this is a mobile money service from a telco and this is a mobile banking service from a bank but the interface and the experience now to the customer is is increasingly similar so um you may not it, it wouldn't be accurate to say that nigeria today is a large mobile money market uh, but it is true that millions of Nigerians are using mobile banking every day, uh, and they're using that through the same um, codes or, or the same channels as a mobile money user. So there's USSD, which is a protocol we don't use in the West, but that's ubiquitous everywhere else. Um, and so if you're in Nigeria, soon you'll be able to use MTN mobile money, which is launching imminently uh, over this USSD channel. But also today, you can go to any of the major banks in Nigeria check your bank account balance, send money, pay a bill, uh, doing that through the same USSD channel. So effectively to the customer, they already have this service. It just happens to be bank-led in Nigeria and telco-led in East Africa. So so if we're talking a few hundred million active users sending money, you know, maybe on a monthly basis today, when you sort of combine that with the fact that um, these telcos in every country on earth basically have an, a, just a ridiculous number of subscribers. So do you think like if we fast forward five, 10 years, that that hundred million is going to push, you know, closer to a couple billion or, or, or what are your thoughts about the trajectory there? Yeah, I think at least a billion people. Um, so mobile money is the debit card of emerging markets and really the prepaid debit card of emerging markets when it's um, issued by a telco. This is the most efficient way for you to get money into the system. Um, 
you know, with competition, it's going to be become increasingly efficient for you to get money out of the system. Uh, there, are, the telcos are driving kind of you know ways to pay your utility bills and pay merchants, buy your airtime, buy your data, just everything that you'll need to do digitally. You will be able to do using mobile money. Uh, and right now, they're they're far and beyond uh, ahead of the the alternatives. You know, so the Visas and the Mastercards of the world or the Alipays. Um, those just are so far behind that unless they were, in, in fact, if you look into Pakistan and Bangladesh, for example, you see some of these providers like Ant Financial investing in the mobile money services because it's the most logical way to digitize cash in those markets. Um, and so I, I think we'll see we'll see some um, consolidation in the industry, but it will only help grow the industry as, as more global players and more kind of big tech gets into it. That's fascinating. So if we zoom back in a little bit to what you're working on now, um, so you, you're working on Hover. Um, you're the, uh, is it founder and CEO of Hover? Yes. Um, Hover enables developers to integrate with any mobile money service worldwide in the afternoon. Um, how, you know, how did you kind of find that specific opportunity? Yeah, with Hover, we're solving a problem that I have experienced before. Uh, so at Copo Copo, we, um, my first business was Copo Copo. Um, and that was, you could think of that like a square type model in Kenya where we, in a, we went and got a single relationship with Safaricom, the issuer of M-Pesa. Uh, and we said, you know, this was 2011. Uh, so we said, look, you, you're sitting on top of the payment network. You've effectively issued quote unquote debit cards to millions of adults, but you don't really have any point of sale terminals to accept those cards. Um, now, they, they don't actually use point of sale terminals. This is all just through SMS and USSD, and, and it's, it's a software and network-driven solution. So they don't need hardware to process a transaction, but kind of the analogy holds. So for us to go out and acquire merchants, process their transactions, and uh, offer them value-added services, we had to integrate to the M-Pesa system. And then over time, we did... Uh, we integrated to Vodacom M-Pesa in Tanzania and Tigo Cash Rwanda, EcoCash Zimbabwe. So we had to do a lot of these integrations to the mobile wallets in these markets. And every single one of them was a nightmare. So the problem there is that the mobile money platforms, the, the technology platforms these services use, often don't have APIs that a programmer needs to, inter to integrate with the service. Um, when they do have APIs, they're poorly documented uh, or not documented at all. Um, and then there's a huge barrier for a developer to just get access to the API documents. So if I want to build a second wave fintech company in Tanzania, you know, I have to go to Vodacom and Airtel and Tigo uh, and several other operators. And for each of them, it might take me over a year to negotiate a commercial agreement access their API documentation, integrate my service, and then go live. And so, you know, you made this comment about the, the GDP of Uganda earlier, and that, that's instructive because think about the cost it takes as a, as a startup or as a developer for you to localize your service to a single market. So just for Uganda, just for Tanzania, you're going to be doing this integration multiple times. Um, and there's no economy of scale to it. It doesn't help you to integrate 20 times versus one. Uh, it's just brute forcing through each one. Uh, so that, that's a huge pain point, and that's the pain point that we're trying to address with Hover, where we just want to make it easy for a developer to build for the world around them. 
So if you live in the long way, you should be able to build the Paytm of Malawi. You don't need to wait until Paytm comes. Um, that was really the, the driving motivation for us. And then the question is, well, how might we do that? Uh, so what we identified was we, we took a page from history. We looked at how did APIs in online payments come to be uh, and online banking integrations. And you can look in the U.S. At, at companies like Yodli, which really pioneered that space by they said, look, if you want to build Mint.com, you first have to be able to link Mint.com with your other your other bank accounts um, so that it could you know build your dashboard. So what they did was they said, um, we're going to open a bank account with all the major banks, sign up for their internet banking services, and then just screen scrape their internet banking portals so our bots can programmatically access the user's account, check their balance, you know, move money, et cetera. Uh, and that, because of Yodly, we got the first wave of US fintech starting in Mint.com. Um, we're, we're doing a very similar method where we said, instead of us going and directly integrating to each service, what if we could screen scrape or, or effectively just script the channel over which all services are delivered? Um, and so earlier I referenced this, this channel called USSD, which outside of Safaricom and PESA, and I believe one in the Philippines, every mobile money system uh, led by a telco is using the USSD rails. So what we did was built an API for the USSD channel. Uh, and by allowing a developer to control the channel, they can now programmatically control any service delivered over that channel, which is how I can say truthfully that if you use Hover today, you can integrate with any mobile money service worldwide. Um, we, uh, we, you know, I, I gave a caveat earlier about uh, M-Pesa and then the one in the Philippines that uses a different channel called SIM Toolkit, which we've now also automated. So our approach is to automate the channel, and by automating the channel, we expose the service. So of those 100 million or a couple hundred million folks worldwide transacting on mobile money, you with with Hover leveraging your SDKs, if I wanted to build like a Venmo for the Philippines or a Venmo for Bangladesh or wherever, I can do that yeah. with just the same API. Yeah, that's correct. That's incredible. So... Um, just, just to maybe s s codify it a little bit, it's a, it's kind of like what Twilio did for um, different mobile carriers and sending text messages and and you know voice calls or whatever via an SDK, but in you know obviously instead of it being communications, it's it's all around a set of mobile money APIs that's very fragmented across all sorts of different carriers in different countries um, that provide mobile money services. Does that, is that in the ballpark? Yeah. And in fact, Twilio, we look at as um, really kind of one of our main examples. We compare ourselves to Twilio or Plaid, depending on the day. Right. Yeah. Plaid would be another. Totally. That's cool. So who are your customers then? Are they like individual developers, um, mostly in the African continent or developers at, at bigger companies? Yeah. So our customers are developers uh, that could be an independent developer sitting in Accra uh, who just wants to build the Venmo for their market. It could be um, a product team at a growth stage startup, you know, pay as you go solar company, um, a um, 
a wallet provider, a ride sharing provider, uh, and then also telecoms. Uh, and so this is something that surprised us and we didn't anticipate. You know, we we started Hover because working with telcos is hard uh, and it's especially hard in the mobile money context. And uh, so our, our working assumption from the beginning was we need to find a way to build everything without any kind of dependence on the telcos. Um, and what we found that surprised us is that the telcos actually need us. So they are aware of the reputations they have. They're aware, they're keenly aware of the technical constraints they have on these services, and they're looking for help. Uh, and, and so one of the things we've done recently is really start working more closely with telcos to show them that we, you're looking for an API solution. We can be that solution for you, and we can help you build your strategy. That's smart, because then you can probably help nudge things on their product roadmap and prioritize things according to you know what what, what might be more symbiotic for for your sdks how would you compare like uh the complexity of building a startup um kind of on a different continent basically uh with you know some of your peers who are maybe building startups here and all their customers are are here in the US and let, let me dovetail real quick on that. Well, I have heard it said that like building a startup in terms of employee count, like in Africa, is orders of magnitude more complex. Because when you when you compare revenue, generally speaking, it's like you know you might have a two million dollar revenue company in in Africa that has like two hundred employees or whatever, <laughs> and in 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 here, you know, what would that be like? You know, if you have two hundred employees, you might have I don't know, hundred million plus in revenue, yeah. right? So I don't know. It's kind of an interesting way to, to to think about the complexity here versus Africa. So yeah, I mean, it's I would say generally that a doing a startup is hard, and um, yeah, it's it's just hard. Uh, there there are really no kind of secrets to it. I, I think it's just hard work, um, and you have to be able to build a strong team around you. Um, and you are subject to kind of the swings of your markets. Uh, and, you know, take as hard as it is here in the U.S., um, it's even harder for the entrepreneurs across Sub-Saharan Africa. And so, you know, the enabling infrastructure is uh, still being developed to support them. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that we're really keen to understand and, and try and help with is helping to build that infrastructure to invest in these local ecosystems. Um, but you have you have just a completely different kind of perception of risk, and I think that's something we have to be cognizant of. Um, you know, you've got political volatility, uh, market volatility. Uh, there's just you, you know, even having to deal with corruption on on a semi regular basis is really draining. Um, it's mentally exhausting. Um, kind of everything is working against you. So I, I just want to say, like, it takes incredible bravery uh, for. Uh, for the entrepreneurs we've worked with to do what they're doing, um, because basically the the deck is stacked against them, uh, and that's something that we're hoping to help change. It's just a question of how do we reduce the barriers to building a company in these markets? How do we help make sure that local entrepreneurs have a fighting chance, and so that they can build the services for their markets instead of having someone else build them for them, um, and especially someone sitting in uh, you know in China or the U.S. Um, I, I think they should have the, you know, they should be the ones building for for themselves. Um, and 
another big barrier there just has to do with raising money. You know, the uh, we are we have an office on the West Coast. Um, we've raised venture capital from uh, you know your kind of standard tech VCs. Um, building out that network, getting access to those people, being able to get that money is already hard. Uh, it's even harder again when you don't have local capital markets or when the foreign capital markets don't understand the circumstances of your market or your day. You know, there, there's not a lot of empathy in that process, I think, for, uh, for a local entrepreneur. And that, the cost of that, that, at least emotionally, is very high. That's a pretty cool um, kind of mission that you guys have then and in terms of like enabling entrepreneurship. So, all right. Well, I, I think I think that's that's about it, uh, Ben, in terms of uh, questions we had on our end. So, what, where can folks find you BM Lion, at BMLion on Twitter? Use Hover.com. Uh, what, what else? Yeah, either of those are great. Uh, you can email me, ben, B-E-N, at usehover.com. Um, yeah, we're, we're here to help. And so if you're interested in um, building companies in, in sub-Saharan Africa, working with startups that operate there, uh, just talking about kind of the fintech space, uh, it's, you know, consider us a resource. Feel free to reach out. Um, our job is to be a supporting block in the ecosystem. So uh, do not be shy. Thanks for tuning in to Start by Harvard Business School's Entrepreneurship Club. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next time.